Next week, we'll be back inside, and uh, then I won't begin every message um, putting magnets on the paper so that they don't blow away. I'm glad to be outside, but next week, that'll be a, a different thing for us. Today, we are looking at the idea of it being darkest before the dawn. And as we look at this message, one of the first things I want to talk to us about is that we have markers that take place in our life. There are events that set a flag down in our life, and we begin to measure our life from the before and after regarding that event. Such life markers might be something like a graduation. Once you completed school and you have that event, you think about your life before that event and then your life after that. Other type of markers that might be part of that. Marriage. The ending of a marriage. Perhaps a medical diagnosis. Perhaps there was that moment when someone decided, now, now I'm going to go to AA. Now I'm going to go get help with that addiction. And they set a marker in their life. The before and the after. Today, as we think of those markers, we're going to be thinking about spiritual markers and setting those in our spiritual life. And as we do that, it's a bit of acknowledging our own failures, but then setting our path forward. And one of the things that we do find is indeed darkest before the dawn. And the greater the failure in our life, the greater the deliverance by our God. And as I come to you today, the question that I have for you to begin is where is there darkness in your life? And each of us has areas of our life that are in darkness. We have areas of our life that we are hiding from God as if that were possible. We have areas of our life that we know God is calling us to change, but we are resisting. And so when you think of the darkness in your life, the question I have for you is, are you ready for the dawn? We're going to begin by looking at a prophecy that comes from Jeremiah. And we are going to see as Jeremiah prophesies a wind of utter destruction. Let me read for that, coming from Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. At that time, this people in Jerusalem will be told, a scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows toward my people, but not to winnow or cleanse. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. Moving to verse 27. This is what the Lord says. The whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens will grow dark. Because I have spoken and will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. We see that God is coming to his group of people. And he is pronouncing a judgment upon them. And he uses the imagery of a windstorm. And this will be a severe windstorm. This isn't one of those storms that come through and, you know, it kind of shakes the trees a little bit and the dead limbs fall off. And it's not this kind of pruning, winnowing type storm. No, this is an utter destruction. This is a tornado, an F5 tornado that leaves nothing left. And we see in verse 27 that the whole 
land will be destroyed with this sliver of promise coming through it, but not completely. As we think here of Jeremiah's prophecy to the people, we know that it indeed does come true. He is prophesying to a kingdom that will be brought to ruins. In this event, in the nation of the biblical Israel, will create a marker for their identity. As they identify themselves from before this time of utter destruction and this time after the destruction that is prophesied here by Jeremiah. As we think of the biblical Israelites, there are other markers that are set in their story. The most notable marker is the one that comes from the Exodus. As they move from being slaves to being freedom. And again and again in the scriptures, we find God referring to himself as the God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember that event that happened? Remember that marker that is part of your identity? God saying, I'm the one that allowed that to happen. And as we come here and think of Jeremiah's prophecy, he predicts what we know is called the exile. And it is a time when this group of people will move from freedom to captives. It is a time when this group of people who once had the greatest kingdom in all the world under King Solomon will move to a people not of Solomon, but of shackles. And then we see in verse 28, the heavens above grow dark. They grow dark. The imagery that is used there is that Israel will enter the darkest dark of night. They will experience being brought into another country. Their city of Jerusalem brought to ruins. Their temple where they worship God destroyed. All that they thought they had will become lost. A couple of weeks ago, we were showing the movie Sing here. And so we had a number of us here who were, who were seeing that song, seeing that movie. A an animated film. For, for kids, it was fun. And a couple of times during the film, one of the characters asked this question in a rhetorical fashion. He says, what is great about hitting rock bottom? Does anyone know? Anyone know what's great? Do you remember what's great about hitting rock bottom? You can only go up. There is nowhere to go but up. As we think of these markers, they take place as a group as well. We see it here with the biblical Israel. We can even think of it in our own country as we are on September 11th today. That serves as a marker in the life of our country. There was life before September 11th, and there is life now after that time. But we also have those within our church. So within the life of this congregation, there are markers. There are events where we talk about before and after. There's some events in the past that I've heard people talk about. 
They talk about the before and after. And they say, before it seemed better. After, not as good. Not as good. But as we think of the life that we have here within this church, I hope that we are going to be setting markers. Setting markers where we will be like the Jerusalem's uh, as the, or sorry, as the Israelites, as they set the marker of the axis, where they said we moved from slaves to freedom, where we went from bad to good. So as we think of the life of this church, we want us to be setting markers where we talk about there is this moment in time. Before it, not as good. After it, it has been better. That is the hope that we as a congregation have. And I must tell you, if I did not think that moment was coming, I would not be here. As we think of these markers, though, now I want you to think about your own life. Where in your own life have you hit rock bottom? Where right now? What part of your own life have you hit rock bottom? And if you haven't hit rock bottom in that area that you are hiding from God, that's not a good thing because it means you're still going down. Think about that. What part of your life? Is it forgiveness? That's a hard one for people. There are people who have been hurt, hurt in significant ways. And they hold on to the anger and the bitterness at the person who did that to them. Are there areas of your life where you are not trusting God? You are not showing faith. You're like, I'll do it with my own ability. God, I know you want me to trust you, but no, no, no. I've got it. I've got it. Perhaps there's areas of disobedience where you know God's calling you to one thing and you're doing something else. Perhaps there's initiatives that you need to take. There's things, you know, God's been calling you to try this thing. And you've been like, no, no, not, not, no. So as we think of these areas of our life, did anything come to mind for you? Were there any of those areas of darkness that you said, yeah, I know what you're talking about? So, yeah, and I expect that it did. But if it didn't, if it didn't, if you were there, no, you're like, no, I'm good. And you're talking to somebody else today, pastor. So we, we then could just take a, a little Sharpie and we'll write pride on your hand for you so that you can see that. And the reason I say that is because we all have areas where we are struggling. We all have areas where we need to improve. And as we come and I'm speaking to you, I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm here to encourage all of us to do better. As we think of our spiritual walk with God, I am here to say, let's do better. So think about this. It's um, the, the first day of the Football season. Well, it's the first Sunday of football season, right? And it, I like football, so I'm happy about that. If you don't like football, you either don't care or you're kind of annoyed by it. But I like football. I'm happy about it. And uh, so the, the Patriots uh, will be playing today. And uh, the coach of the Patriots, uh, Coach Belichick, can you imagine him after the first game of the season, you know, the team plays, and he's like, all right, fellas. Well, you know what? We've been working hard for a couple of months. Uh, game today. 
Um, you know, um, game next week. I'll, I'll see you back here next Sunday. I want you to just take the week off. See you next Sunday. No, no, of course not, right? Because the coach is like, hey, hey, we, we want to do better. We're, as soon as the game is over, they're going to begin to evaluate how the team can play better next week. In our spiritual life, the same way. We want to do better. Uh, so school recently started. Can you imagine a, a, a teacher coming up to, to a young child and, uh, you know, puts the letter C-A-T before the child? Says, can you, can you read that? And, and the student shakes. Mm. The teacher being like, oh, all right. Well, you know, we're going to spend the next 10 months together, and we don't really want you to get better at that. We don't, you know, we don't want you to be able to read that at the end of the year either. No, of course not. The teacher's going to be like, we're going we're gonna to help you do better. So in the same way in our spiritual lives, we want to do better. And as we think of the prophet Jeremiah, he was speaking on God's behalf to the people. And he is saying, you need to do better. And he says, there is an easy way or a hard way to do better in your life. The easy way, he says, is that you can change before disaster comes upon you. Or the hard way, you can change after disaster comes upon you. They chose the hard way. In our own life, we have that question. When do we change? Before or after? Are we choosing the easy way or the hard way to change? We're going to look now at a story out of the New Testament. And it has to do with a man named Paul. It talks about his conversion. And he is going to be someone who is helping establish a new church. So this is following the life of Jesus. And Paul is a leader in the church, helping it get established. And he is writing a book to um, another leader in the church. And he is providing encouraging words for this man named Timothy. And I'm going to read um, his writing to Timothy. And this is Paul, as he is speaking to Timothy, he is reflecting upon his own story of coming and finding Jesus Christ. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, as he is writing, he is reflecting upon his own story. And his story is this. 
He was a religious leader who radically opposed the early church. How extreme? How extreme was his opposition? Well, he used his position of power to go about searching for and trying to arrest Christians. And in fact, the very first person to die for his faith, Stephen, the first martyr, Paul was a part of his story of bringing Stephen to death. That's why in verse 13, Paul says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. That is true, true, and true. In his life, he comes to the darkest moment. And that is when he is confronted by Jesus Christ. He's going along this road on his way to arrest Christians. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, confronts him with these words, Why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul's entire life is brought into judgment. Everything that he has put his effort toward is brought into judgment. And he realized it was the wrong thing. All this effort that he had put into learning the scriptures, all this effort that he'd be put into rising up in the ranks of the religious leaders, all this effort that he had put into finding, persecuting, and even killing Christians. And then Jesus is standing before him, saying, why are you persecuting me? It's no wonder, as Paul reflects upon this moment with his entire life brought into judgment and recognizing the greatness that he receives from his God. It leads to the gifts of mercy, grace, faith, and love. This is what he experiences in that moment. Because he was so far away from God that when he is brought into the presence of God, he says, wow, what an amazing God who would take me who was so far away and bring me close. That's why he receives mercy, which is when judgment is withheld. That's why he receives grace, which in verse 14 it's described as being poured out abundantly, which is a kindness that is not earned. That's why he also receives faith, which is also poured out for him, which is a trust in God. That's why he also receives love, which again is poured out for him, which is an affection for God. There are easy ways to understand God's mercy, grace, to have faith and love for God. There are easy ways to do that. Paul chose the hard way. What about us? What are we choosing? We're choosing the hard way. Paul's story is our story. The areas we're holding on to, we're, we're, we're opting for the difficult path. Paul's hard way, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. So was Paul the worst of sinners? There's no point in arguing about who is the worst at sinning. The point that Paul is making is that he is very far from God. And as it says in verse 16, he mentions how far away he is from God 
as an example to those who would believe. The point that Paul is making to this early leader in the church named Timothy is this, is that God can save the worst of sinners. God can save the worst of sinners. And one of the untruths that people believe is this, is that they believe their betrayal of God is unforgivable. They say, no, 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 no. If you only knew what I did, if you only knew what I thought, you would know that God can't forgive me. And that is not true. That is why Paul says he was the worst of sinners. And God's kindness is shown to him. Just like God's kindness is shown to all of us. No person is ever too far lost for God. And no sin in our life is ever too entrenched for God. Because God is the one that we talked about in our young person sermon. The one who seeks the one lost sheep. God is the one who seeks the single lost coin. Because God wants us to come to him. Out of the young person's sermon, and in that passage, it tells us in Luke 15, Jesus concludes with this. He says, I tell you, there is rejoice in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. No, God is seeking you. So for us today, what will it be? Will we allow God into our lives so that we can change the darkness and let the light come in? Sometimes we think it's just easier to just keep doing what I'm doing. I've already invested so much time in getting this mess I'm in now, and I don't really want to change into something that I feel like God's calling me to. Right? And we mentioned that early at the start of the service, the idea of that sunken cost fallacy, where we let the past keep us from doing what is right in the present. So in this moment right now, forget about what's gone before you. Forget about the time you've put into that. Forget about the investment that you've put into that. Forget about the relationships that you've put in and the relationships that you've built. Right now, in this moment, what is the best thing for you and aspects of who God is in your life? And if you choose God now, what you will be able to do is you will be able to look upon your past life. You will set a marker here right now and say, this is the moment I gave that over to God. And as you set yourself here at that marker and you look forward and you look behind you, you will see that maybe you have walked a very jagged path to God. Maybe you have done a lot of wrong things in that path to God. But you know what? That was your beautiful jagged path that led you to set a marker in your life where you say, from this moment on, I will be different. Because when we set that marker and we live that life forward, only then does our past make sense. 
Only then are all the decisions that have brought us to this point justified. It is indeed a beautiful path. Maybe it was the hard way, but it's the way that God has used in your life. Today, though, today, here's the question. What part of your life are you going to set a marker in today? What part of your life are you going to set a flag in today and say, this point forward, I will be different? Let's take a moment and quietly reflect upon the message together.